everyone. We are Rena and Dara, and welcome to Fertility Forward. We are part of the wellness team at RMA of New York, a fertility clinic affiliated with Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. Our Fertility Forward podcast brings together advice from medical professionals, mental health specialists, wellness experts, and patients, because knowledge is power, and you are your own best advocate. Dr. Alan Copperman serves as our medical director here at RMA of New York. He's also the director of the Division of Reproductive Endocrinology and Infertility, as well as the vice chairman of the Department of Obstetrics, Gynecology, and Reproductive Science at Mount Sinai Medical Center. He is an experienced and respected clinician, has published numerous manuscripts and book chapters on reproductive medicine, and has co-authored hundreds of scientific abstracts on infertility, in vitro fertilization, egg freezing, ovum donation, and genetics. He is also our boss. In this recording, we discuss optimizing patient care, helping patients find hope, redefining success, looking at overall perspective, and empowering patients to take steps forward. Enjoy. Dr. Copperman, so happy to have you on today. Really a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here. We so appreciate it. We have lots of questions, but let's start from the beginning. How did you get involved in this world of fertility when you went to medical school? I was just a medical student and I was on a rotation and there was a woman who had suffered from a miscarriage and I was really curious about what could have caused it. So I began to do research and I did a presentation and then I did microsurgery and I was actually using a um, suture that is a fraction of a width of a human hair and I was putting together a fallopian tube with an attending physician. I said, wow, this is this incredible area of medicine that you can have such a technical thrill from the challenges that human reproduction presents, and yet such a human connection to people and transform their life. And I was just completely hooked. You have so much passion about the job, and it's so clear with you know what you just said and how you got into it. Is that one of the favorite parts of your job, your, the human connection that you got? It really is. I think I was originally drawn to some of the technical and the surgical, but these days it is just so clear that the emotional connection that I get to have with patients as I go on the journey with them as you know, you're, you're a therapist. Sometimes when patients suffer in front of you, you feel it and your empathy comes through. And then when they succeed, you can really celebrate in the joys with them. And that journey, it makes this field among all the others that I know of in medicine, just really unique. Sure. I think sometimes that can be a catch 22 also. I mean, do you find yourself taking home cases with you? You know, I know I do sometimes, you know, some cases really stay with you and you know, you want somebody to get that positive result so much and it's almost, you know, devastating for you too when, when they don't. Um, so I think it also can be, you know, very difficult. I think this is such a humanistic field. There is such a human impact of what we do that there's always self-reflection. So if a cycle, for example, of in vitro fertilization doesn't succeed, I would want my physician to go home and think about what can go better the next time and to come back re-energized with a way to achieve success. And I think that's part of the connection that we get to have in this field. Or do you find that also in nutrition? I mean, I know it's a little bit different, but I would imagine, you know, too, you're so involved with your patients and, and working so closely with them on something so important, you know, and part of their journey. Of course, I take it home with me. I work with patients who email me on a daily basis what they're eating uh, and how they're feeling emotionally and why they choose certain foods. And so I do see it quite often. I, I definitely feel it every day. And also being a patient myself here, it's on my mind. I want to make sure on both sides, being a dietitian, but also understanding what they're going through in some okay. capacity. 
you're so incredible with our patients when you connect with them and you talk about health and wellness. Mm -hmm. How do you manage to bring that kind of energy every single day to every encounter? I just have a passion for helping people out. And I love talking about food and the connection between our body and how what we eat can really make a difference hormonally and physically and mentally. Yeah, I think that you're right. I mean, I think that both of you just connect so much with our patients. This team that we're building, it's got to be unique. And I think that we all, we've got one goal in common. I mean, this is to help them achieve success. And this is with mind, this is with body, this is with controlling whatever we can control in the environment, because there's so much reproduction that's beyond control. Well, I think you just hit on something that I see so much, you know, in my work with patients, and that's, you know, the loss of control. And I think, as you said, both Dara and I bring a perspective into our work as we both were patients and both went through it ourselves. So we know exactly what it's like, what it feels like. And I find in my work, you know, as a therapist, you often have to be very careful and they teach you in school. You don't disclose about yourself. You don't disclose personal information because that can kind of muddy the waters with patients. But I think this type of work is so unique. And I found throughout my years of work that it really resonates with patients and they appreciate so much when I share with them my journey because it helps them feel not alone. And they look at me and they say, oh, wow, I didn't realize somebody else felt this way. You know, they see hope because I had success and they love it. And so I've really learned over the years that it is okay to share a little bit. And of course, with every patient, it's different, but it really resonates with people. Yeah, we used to have baby pictures on the wall and uh, due to HIPAA and some other sensitivity issues, we don't anymore. But many patients found them to be aspirational and they looked forward to that moment where their picture could be hanging on the wall. Um, And I think that it is part of what you do well is you help patients instead of seeing other people's successes as their own failures to see that as a way to understand that the journey isn't always the direct line and to see that there's an end in sight and to help them to have hope where even on days that they feel despair. Sure. And that's one of the questions I always ask people usually day one is, Do you have hope? Do you believe in this process? And we talk a lot about how, you know, you start your life and most people have a picture where they want to end up, you know, they want to get married, have two kids, go to college, whatever that may be. And this journey and this process often sort of totally strips you of that picture and makes you really think. And so I always work with patients to say, look, sometimes it's about reframing and it doesn't mean that you can't get to where you want to go, but it's about reshaping that image. And redefining success sometimes. Exactly. Success can be an IVF baby, even if you thought it was going to be a candlelight conception. Success can be donor egg if it means having a baby in your arms. Success can be preserving your fertility if that relationship didn't work out and you're not exactly where you want to be, Mm -hmm. but to help you just respect and grasp onto where you are right now. And that's, I think, what you do well with our patients is you just help them see that big perspective. It's not always where you thought you were going to be at that moment, but it's embracing where they are and empowering them to take steps forward from there. Right. And I think, as you said, you know, so much of this field is about empowerment and people come in and and I'm sure you see this too, you know, the nutrition, especially how do I come in and take control of what I'm putting in my body? And Dr. Copperman, as you touched on the loss of control, and it's about showing people that they do have power. And so much of this field does allow you to empower yourself um, and does allow you to take control. And so I think that's really powerful. But, you know, as us in the the field, it's up to us to show patients, you know, that they have that. And I think, Dara, what you've done well, sometimes when a patient has hypothalamic amenorrhea and you've helped them gain some weight in a healthy way and help them ovulate naturally, it really is incredible how the mind and the body and the environment can come together to help health and wellness. Yeah, and empowering them. I think giving them something to grasp, something to be positive with, and letting them take ownership of their health. 
So how do you manage the polycystic ovaries patient? Because I'd say that the most common patient I send to you is someone to help manage their carbohydrate intake so we can lower insulin levels, lower androgen levels, restore the normal hormonal milieu. I know what it does on the back end to the physiology, but how do you, on a grassroots level, take somebody who's carb-loving and turn them into somebody who still loves food but maybe has gently transformed the nutritional composition of the dietary intake? I think giving them compassion and acknowledging the fact that people with PCOS typically do crave carbs more so than the average person, letting them know right off the bat that carbs are not the enemy, but realizing the importance of coupling carbohydrate intake with a source of protein or healthy fats to help prevent that blood sugar spike and that blood sugar drop that can perpetuate that constant craving for sugars. I mean, I love carbs, so I'm actually partly asking for a patient. So partly <laughs> this asking. is important for anyone, but specifically with PCOS, specifically in the morning, and late at night, we have to be extra cautious with the amount of carbohydrates we consume and the quality, the types that we get. So sticking with more of the fiber carbohydrates first thing in the morning, trying to avoid too much fruit or processed carbohydrates like white breads and potatoes and, and sugary breakfast cereals and focusing more on the foods that they should incorporate healthy proteins, and a source of fiber coming from oatmeal or flax seeds. How do you both handle the guilt that patients feel? When, like, I can imagine that you've given somebody strict instructions, they go out to a nice restaurant, <laughs> they eat the bread, and they say, wow, Dr. Copperman and Dara told me not to. And next thing you know, they're in Rena's desk. Oh, like, yeah. Now I'm not going to have a baby. Like, how do you, how do you I get that all the time. I ate pizza. This didn't work. It's because I ate pizza. You know, and I just, you know, work with people and say, you got to have to love yourself. You know, this process, I think it... It's so difficult because people know kind of every single step of the way, which you don't get if you conceive naturally, right? Most people that conceive naturally don't know until much later, and they may still be out there eating sushi, drinking wine, whatever, because they don't know. Whereas here we know before conception, we start the process of trying to conceive before it happens. And I think, you know, because of that, people put so much on themselves and they're always looking for something to pinpoint something to blame, right, if the process doesn't work. And they'll point to say, oh, it's because I had pizza a month ago and I shouldn't have. And so I work with people a lot on kind of guilt and shame, learning to love themselves, um, self-care, take care of themselves and say, look, you, have, you know, you're human, right? And humans wouldn't have existed on this planet for billions of years if right. it turned out that that Levon Bakery <laughs> was going to turn a successful right? cycle into one that's unsuccessful. And also right. switching the, the script of... Did you enjoy that Levan cookie? You shouldn't have guilt if you actually enjoy right. it. Right. You have so much stress going on. Try and find, I say, you know, work every day, practice gratitude, love and kindness, find something to make you feel good. And let's help use the power of, you know, I'm big on positive psychology, help reframe your thinking, help you see the world in a different way. I love that. Yeah, Rena, I agree with you. The power of positivity is oh my huge. Gosh. And I always tell patients at the end of the day, we often focus on the one thing that we did wrong. Exactly. Oh, I ate that bagel in the morning. Right. Why did I do that? And instead of doing that, be kinder to yourself. End the day off with something positive. I Mm -hmm. avoided that second handful of french fries that I really wanted mm -hmm. to go for, but I didn't. I do like french fries too. <laughs> <laughs> that handful's okay, Dr. Copperman. But instead of saying, you know, acknowledging something that you did that you weren't happy with, flipping the, the switch, mm -hmm. the your, your mental capacity, I think it's important to focus on what you can do better tomorrow as opposed to acknowledging what you, your shortcomings for today. Sure. Or, well, I work a lot with people of just sort of being in this moment, you know, let's be in the present. You know, people are always looking, you know, for, but what comes next? What comes next? And it's, and I work with them and let's be in the now, you know, let's be here today where you're at, go outside, smell the flowers, enjoy the weather, 
you know, this pregnancy, it's not your last one, which may have ended in a miscarriage. This is a new experience. You've never been here before on this day with this pregnancy. This is totally different than your last one. Great. I'm happy you said that because mindfulness, that's a big key factor in terms of health, in terms of lowering your stress levels, meditation, something mm-hmm. as simple as a one minute breathing exercise or listening to an app, which I often recommend called Insight Timer. Oh, you told me about that. I love it. It's great. And it's just being in the present, focusing on the breath, not thinking about what you did yesterday or what your plans are for tomorrow, but being in the moment right now. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes we have to face the fact that this cycle might not work. And I think some people are so afraid of failure that they don't even try to get pregnant or don't want to do another cycle. And sometimes having that courage to potentially fail will help propel somebody that otherwise wouldn't have succeeded and put them in the opportunity where they can succeed. So are you a Brene Brown fan? Like I am, I hear a lot of Brene Brown in that speech. Uh, being in the arena, vulnerability. Yeah, you've got to make yourself vulnerable or you're risking mm-hmm. not right. taking you're a not chance gonna of success. Right, you're not going to get anything. So approaching the possibility that it might fail can be a healthy technique, I find, mm-hmm. for couples. Totally. And what if it fails? What's the next step? And it may be adoption and it may be embracing the life they have. But I find that trying is the most yeah. important thing yeah. to helping somebody achieve their goal of succeeding. You know, totally. you have, Sometimes you have to buy a ticket. You have to get in the arena. And if, you, if you're not in there, what are you doing? You're on the sidelines. And I always tell people, look, it's never a failure. I don't like to use that word. And I, I tell patients, we don't say they got a negative result. We say it's not what you wanted. But I always say that nothing is a failure. It's always data. It's always a piece of the puzzle taking you to your next step. So the cycle didn't work. Well, it's still giving Dr. Kopperman data on how your body responds. A cycle that didn't have the desired outcome. There you go. We sit down and really have a root cause analysis. Like, I don't want to use the word system failure, but like any other time that Mm -hmm. you didn't have the optimal result. And we go back on what we've learned from that. Mm -hmm. Were the medications too high, not high enough? Did we go one day more than we should have or not one day more than we should have? How many eggs did we get? What did the sperm look like? And how did the embryo grow? Mm -hmm. And what can we learn to make the next cycle better? Mm -hmm. And I think it makes us better doctors. And it's we have machine learning algorithms that take big data and turn them into decision support tools. So we could take somebody who didn't have cycle success that they wanted and turn that next cycle into a more successful right. one. And that is, you asked at the beginning, what I love about this field, mm-hmm. using big data, using huge amounts of information, using the, I'm going to use the word with your permission, failures of, of, of cycles, of countless cycles in the past to drive successes in the future. Mm-hmm evolving as clinicians and, and healthcare providers and getting better and better what we do every day. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about this. Yeah. And I always say, look, you know, it's hard. I've been there myself. I was with you. I was also, you know, the guinea pig getting injections, multiple cycles, and it was horrible being there, but it's never a waste. And I wish someone... And we don't like to use the word guinea pig. Okay. No guinea pig. But then. you feel like it. You feel like it's an experiment but that's what you when you feel mix like. the medications sure. at home and you've got needles all over the place and you don't know whether it's going to work or not. Right. Yeah. It's scary. You feel like you're in a Dwayne Reed. And that uncertainty and loss of control provokes so much anxiety. Yes. It does. But you know what also, and I don't know if you guys both see this in your IUI patients, I actually think IVF gives patients much more semblance of control than IUI. There's more structure. There's so much more structure. You're doing the injections. You have the control over that. You're getting the real-time constant updates. There are no surprises. You know, IUI, I personally found, and I see with my patients, very difficult because it's like two weeks of, all right, see you later. And you're like, whoa, I came in a doctor's office. I did, you know, it feels like a very invasive procedure to get pregnant. And so I actually think IVF gives a lot more semblance of control. I've had patients say that doing IUIs or IVF 
gives them more control than just trying naturally, not knowing when they're going to ovulate, when they have sure. to have intercourse, and the strain that that often puts on a relationship. That structure, I agree with you, can really be transformative in mm. lowering stress levels and propelling a couple towards success. Yeah, especially people who like structure. Yeah. Absolutely. And you get, there's no surprises. You know, you come in, you see your follicles, you get the ultrasounds every day. Um, so I think it is short. It does. And, I, and I've and i never had a patient come back to me and say, I don't agree with you. You know, you told me IVF would be easier once I started and you were wrong. They come back, they say, you were right. This was not as bad as I thought. And what's amazing about IVF now is it works <laughs> so frequently. Mm-hmm. Now that we can genetically test an embryo, sure. the chance of a single embryo working is many times what it was in the past. So when we heard about people that failed multiple cycles years ago, mm. the new story is it took one cycle and one embryo. It just took me a while to find that one embryo. Mm-hmm. And that's this genomic era where, and personalized era where we could find that healthy embryo from a crowd and we could put it in at the perfectly timed cycle and achieve success more than half the time of women of any age. Mm. You know, that actually, I wanted to ask you also, Darren, I were, we're curious, you know, you've been in the field for what, over 18 years? Yeah, more than that. Yeah, more than 18 years at least with RMA. Yeah, so RMA started in 2001, and I completed my training at Mount Sinai in 1995. So I've been doing this for a while. Okay, so how has the field changed now, 2019, than when you started? I'm, I'm very curious. Well, I entered the field, it was still a surgical subspecialty, and we were operating on fallopian tubes a lot. And mm-hmm. these days, we're actually operating in a dish on eggs mm-hmm. and sperm. And I'd say five to 10 years from now, we're going to be operating on the genome with CRISPR, Cas9, and other molecular tools so we can change an A to a T, we can increase the chance of an embryo becoming a healthy baby. So we're going more molecular and more specific, and we're going so much higher success rates. Mm-hmm. I mean, it used to take multiple cycles to achieve what we can achieve right now. So what I've seen in our field is one of almost a shotgun, anything we could do to maybe help and higher order multiples being not uncommon to now precision medicine. We know quickly what's wrong with a couple. Is it the egg, sperm, uterus, or tubes? Mm -hmm. What we need to do to fix it, which embryo is going to be healthy, how to put it in, and how to quickly achieve success. We've shortened the duration of infertility by an order of magnitude, and we've increased the number of good outcomes in ways that I just felt impossible when I started feeling. Oh, wow. That's great. I guess, and another question that leads me to would be, you know, so many people come in and they say, wow, I had no idea how many people have, you know, infertility. I had no idea till I started. And then people come out the woodwork, right? And it's so common. And so people ask why. Great point. The awareness is there. People are not afraid to share their stories. On a generational level, there's more transparency. People used to only be curated and share the success stories or the baby pictures. And now people are not so afraid true. to share their st- mm. struggles. You see people that uh, dare, I mean, all the time that are, that are talking about it. I mean, your mm-hmm. social media person and tell me about the culture change that you're seeing. There's a lot more awareness, especially on social media in terms of Instagram. People are mm-hmm. sharing their stories. And in terms of different resources, I know Rena works with a lot of women who want to work with different groups, uh, support groups. So I'm sure you see that a lot as well in terms of spreading the word and not necessarily only sharing their struggles. But it's also nice to see that we're seeing a lot of women, you know, through their struggles and on the other side as well. There was that campaign to say the F word, fertility. Yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's important to discuss these things. You can actually find support in places that you never felt imaginable. And leaving a dinner party or a work event to go to the bathroom and take a shot of fertility medications, mm-hmm. there's no shame in that. That's empowerment. Oh, yes, yeah. For sure. 
So I wanted to talk more about research and what we're doing here in terms of research uh, and what you would like to see in terms of the research field, fertility. What's really excited me in the field is going and taking molecular information and driving better outcomes. So what we've done in the laboratory is we've been able to sequence the genome on the embryos. We've been able to figure out what genes are turned on and off. We've been figuring out which mitochondria are healthy and not. And we're figuring out what makes a healthy embryo implant and what makes some embryos unhealthy and not implant. So using new molecular tools has transformed the scientific world, and it's going to translate over the next few years into healthier pregnancy outcomes. Super interesting. Mm-hmm. It's, great. It's, it's just amazing. Next generation sequencing has been revolutionary. In our field, we used to test preconceptually for four diseases like cystic fibrosis and, uh, and sickle cell. These days, we're testing for 280 some odd diseases. And within the next six months, we're going to be testing for more than 500 diseases. So every couple that comes in, we're going to talk about health and wellness. We'll talk about moderation, maybe cessation of cigarette smoking, moderation of alcohol and caffeine intake. We'll talk about measles vaccinations, and we're going to be talking more and more about (laughs) genetics. When you and your partner are ready to conceive, what is it that you guys are trying to achieve and how can we help you reach there? And for couples, it's going to be having a healthy child. And how do we make sure that we know what the risk is of having an unhealthy child and empower the patients with tools to make sound choices of how to avoid disease in their offspring and how to achieve healthy pregnancies? I mean, that's the transformation in our field. We've gone to a molecular specialty where big data transforms the trajectories of a couple that was either going to be not pregnant or have an unhealthy child into a couple that has a high likelihood of success. It's really gratifying. That I mean, I'm curious both of your thoughts on this. I, I think about this frequently, how, you know, the research you just talked about and even the field as it currently is, how is this going to change our overall population? You know, with so many people doing fertility treatments, and the advent of genetic testing, you know, we're weeding out embryos that could have been, you know, children with serious abnormalities. And how is that changing our overall population? You know, are we now looking at a population of people that are healthier overall? And I think that's such an interesting macro question. You know, is it is that really making a big difference in humanity? So health policy experts are looking closely at the field of reproductive medicine. We're hitting a, a birth rate crunch in our country where we're at historic lows in the live birth rate per per 10,000 women. So in other words, we're we're not hitting replacement anymore and they're worried about the next generation and our population getting older. Wow. Why? Do you know why? Is it because women are having their first child when they're older and it's more challenging to have a child and they're having smaller family sizes. Mm. So all that is translating into population shifts. So there will be more of a turn towards reproductive medicine as mm-hmm. more women struggle. Mm-hmm. And there's going to be more support, I believe, at a at a governmental level for fertility mm-hmm. uh, because the country really wants to sustain a certain amount of population stability. Mm-hmm. So with this promotion of access to care and with this super Moore's law expansion of sequencing technology that's translating into information being available, I think we're going to be able to screen more patients and screen more embryos and help more patients who want to have a family have a family and make sure that the embryos that are created in these situations are free of disease. Hmm. That's where I think we're going. I think you're right. We're going to see that transformation and fewer babies being born with preventable diseases. Hmm. I think that's fascinating. And then, of course, in that sentence, you just said, you know, it touched on something very near and dear to my heart, which is insurance reform and the laws. And, you know, I'm, I'm really happy we're having a 
Barb and Betsy um, from Resolve on the podcast in a few weeks too to talk about the new insurance reform that was passed in New York. And now that you said that, I'm wondering if part of the drive behind passing the bill was because of the population shift. I mean, you know, I'm excited that we can offer insurance coverage, you know, to more people. I think it's so important. I didn't have coverage when I was going through it, and it's a huge expense and another stressor. Oh, sure. And I don't think anyone should not be able to have a family because they can't afford it. I think that's it's so important and that it's so interesting that you said that. And I wonder if that plays a role. Yeah, I think that we're all supporting access to care for mm-hmm. as many people as we can. Sure, yeah. So on a lighter note to, to switch things up, what do you do on your uh, days off? If you have any days off. <laughs> do you have days off? <laughs> I'm not a big fan of the day off. <laughs> I do like to sneak in Soul Cycle. Oh, yes. great. And Who, like, what instructors do you like? Um, I'm an Upper West Side person. Yes. So Sean and Sue actually Love are them. great. They have... Um, good classic rock going. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a happy place for me okay. because for 45 minutes, you get to switch off. When I speak to both of you about self-care, I think it's important to take care of yourself and it helps you take care of others. Yeah. I love Sean and Sue, right? Definitely. I'm a big Sean and Sue fan myself. That's great. Well, we're so happy that we had you on. Any other points that you would like to end off with? Any message to our listeners? Yeah, I know that a lot of our listeners and our patients have struggled with infertility and feels alone sometimes. And we found that with this sense of community and with a little bit of support, we can really make that suffering a little bit lighter and we can hopefully provide a pathway to better outcomes. And it's just a privilege to be part of this team that leads with compassionate care and leads with science. And uh, I'm proud of the successes that we've been able to help achieve and how many families we've been able to help grow. And uh, I look forward to doing so for many years to come. Well said. We are so proud of what you've created here. And we would love to have you back again soon. Yeah, we're so grateful to be part of such a wonderful team. And I know, you know, I couldn't have my job here without your support and you, you know, behind this position and role and and supporting mental health. And it's so great to be part of such a wonderful place. And we know you change the lives of so many. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom. You know, this is just a small, small portion. Thank you, Rena. Thank you, Dara. Thanks to our whole team. We have to thank you guys so much for tuning into our very first podcast. And unfortunately, we let Dr. Copperman leave before we went around and went over our gratitude for the day, which is something I believe so strongly in practicing gratitude. I try and do it every day. So we lost Dr. Copperman to go back to his very important work, but Dara and I are still here. And I like to say, Dara, what are you grateful for today? Rena, I am so grateful for living in New York City. Being you sound very serious about living in New York City. I'm Canadian and I, I apply Canada, but I've, my dream in life was always to live in a big city. So I woke up this morning so happy, so grateful for the noises, the sounds, the smells, just being in New York City. Okay. Something as simple as that. I love that. I love that. Just being grateful for where you're at. Yeah, I love that. What about you, Rena? I guess I will say, you know, for today, mine is also about just sort of being in the present. And, you know, as I said, this is our first podcast. It's something, you know, maybe our listeners don't know. I certainly didn't know before we started this that a lot, a lot of front end work went into this. And we've been working on this for months. We've been talking about this for months. You know, this equipment, this this mixer, which looks like I'm a DJ, has been sitting on my desk for months. My patients all come in and think I have some side hustle going in here, running a dance club. And so I have to say today, you know, I'm just, I'm grateful to be here and recording our first one, this sort of dream that we had coming to reality. And I think it's really exciting. I second that. Thank you so much for listening today. And always remember, practice gratitude, give a little love to someone else and yourself. And remember, you are not alone. 
Find us on Instagram at fertility underscore forward. And if you're looking for more support, visit us at www.rmany.com and tune in next week for more Fertility Forward.